Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 21st of August 2016, entitled, Not Forsaking the Assembling of Ourselves Together. And the Bible reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Okay, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to uh, Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 10. And I guess this message, really, um, I put together last night uh, after I did the, uh, the Sunday school. And I was just thinking, really, throughout what happened throughout the day when we were out in the city centre. And, um, yeah, just something, really, that uh, I think that we all need, really, to think about tonight. And it's um, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Okay, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Um, so we're just going to read uh, three verses. We're going to read from verse 23. So if you'd like to stand for the honour of reading God's word. Um, <clears throat> verse 23, chapter 10, and we read, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, please be seated. Why a message like this? Why... um, that we need to think this evening about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves uh, together. Well, yesterday when we were on the outreach, uh, within about 30 minutes, I met two men that really typify what my experience is being a street evangelist, being out there on the streets. And I've met these kind of people so many times. And uh, the more I go out there, the more times I meet them. And uh, they're basically um, men, usually men. Um, I have met one, a few women, uh, but it's usually men who um, basically, when I, I, when I asked them, do you fellowship at a church anywhere? Which church do you go to? Um, they come out with answers like, I don't need to go to church. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm a Christian. Why do I need to go to a church? Why do I need to join some organization? Um, why do I need to go to some church building to worship God? I can worship God anywhere. I can be out there on the city, in the city center, in the streets, worshiping God. Why do I need to go into a building? And then they start telling me all the bad things about church and the churches that they've been in, you know, um, and I met two people like this within 30 minutes. They came up to us, and that's what they usually do. They like to come to Christians, and when they're doing the outreach, you know, they try to, I don't know if they know that they're doing it, but they're basically trying to uh, stop the work and discourage you, basically. Trying to tell you all the bad things. Instead of getting involved in a church and bedding themselves down and getting involved. Um, but this is life, isn't it? We're living in 2016. This is the real world, okay? And uh, this is going on. Um, I've always wondered why are so many of these people doing evangelism? 
why are they out there on the streets? Uh, why are these people who say you don't really need to go to church? I mean, are they representing Jesus Christ as they go out? Yeah, they, they are giving the leaflets out and maybe preaching. But, you know, there's another side to them which doesn't really fit the Scriptures because they're not fellowshipping together. And when they win souls for the Lord, or if they want to invite them to church, where are they going to invite them to if they don't go to a church themselves? They're just going to have disciples like themselves, really, aren't they? Um, so often these people that you meet often have no direction in their Christian lives. They don't have commitment. They're basically doing their own things. They don't want accountability. And if you like, they're like loose cannons. And I've met so many. Um, do we need church? Do we need it? Look, we're living in the year 2016, okay? We're living 2016 years since the first church began, basically. Do we need church today in 2016? Or is it just an old tradition? And if we do, why do we need it? Let's just turn back to our uh, scripture, because I believe that in these uh, verses that we read, we find the answers basically. Uh, verse 23 says, let us hold fast. Yeah, let us hold on to our faith without, and what's the next word? What does that mean? To waver. Yeah, basically means to be up and down, up and down, doesn't it? You know, like a, a boat on the ocean, on the sea being tossed to and fro, you know, <clears throat> with wind. Um, and basically, we see here in this context that we're to hold fast our profession, and then it says, without wavering. And this is one of the reasons why we need to fellowship together in a church, together, as a, as a local church, so that we don't waver. There's a danger, and it's happening. So many Christians... There's no direction. There's no stability all over the place. You know, when um, I was in, in Israel, they used to have something called the Elijah syndrome. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but it's like every Tom, Dick, and Harry thinks that they're a prophet, and they basically found their way to Jerusalem. And you'll see them today. Uh, today. They'll be on the streets. They'll be preaching. They'll be dressed up as Elijah, some of these people. And someone said, told me that they, had, that they have a special uh, uh, hospital for these people. Um, and they basically think that, you know, God is calling them out to Israel. Uh, they've had no, uh, they haven't belonged to any church at all, but they've just gone on their, on their own accord. And there they are, finding their way in, into the streets of Jerusalem. And uh, they think that God has called them. And, uh, you know, they like to think themselves as Elijah. And they call it the Elijah Syndrome. And there are many people like that on the streets of Birmingham today, you know? Loose cannons. So don't waver. This is one of the reasons why we need to come together. We need to fellowship together. We need to be in a place where there's good teaching, where there's the sound gospel ministry going forth. And I believe that you can find it in here. And if you're praying for a place to fellowship... Pray earnestly about this place. Because I tell you now, there aren't many places like this one. There is a famine of the words of God in this city and in our nation. 
If you find a good church that preaches the gospel and there's good teaching going on, pray about joining that church. So we see here the danger of wavering. We also see in verse 24, Paul says here, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's another good reason why we need to be in fellowship together so that we can consider one another. We can think about one another. You know, it's not always about us, but it's about other people. And it's about considering others' needs. Okay? He says here, unto love and to good works. He's talking about loving the brethren. And he's talking about encouraging unto good works. Yeah? All these evangelists that are out there on the streets, you know, how much good are they really doing? How much good are they um, doing to encouraging people within the church? They're out there, uh, out there on, on their own and, you know, there's no accountability and there's no bringing, bringing souls into the church and praying for them, getting to know them, um, you know. It's important. We need to consider one another, provoke unto love and to good works. We need to encourage one another. You know, God gives us spiritual gifts and he wants us to use them. He gives us talents. And each one, each person here represented in this room tonight, if you're a Christian, you have a talent that God can use. But all you need to do is to ask God to help you to use it and to know where to use it. And if this is where God is telling you to bed yourself down, if this is your spiritual home, Use your talents. Use your gifts. Don't waste them. Don't bury them. Use them because you will be useful for the Lord. Not only that, you'll encourage other people around you as well because our gifts are to help one another. Okay? We need to love the brethren. That's one of the commandments. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. We need to show our love with one another. If we're out there, not joining up, just separating ourselves, living on a mountain in a monastery somewhere with our, with our Bibles and our, all of our, you know, how are we going to love the brethren? How are we going to encourage one another? Why are so many churches struggling today? Why does it seem that all the work seems to fall upon a few people? It shouldn't be like that. There's enough people to do the job. But you see, it's people's attitudes. People often think, oh, he will do it, or oh, she will do it, or the pastor will do it. And unfortunately, that's what happens in many churches today, and that's why churches struggle. Because people just put their feet up, take a back seat, and don't get involved at all in the work. The Bible says that we need to be involved. We need to consider one another. No accountability, no commitment. You can do it. That seems to be the attitude in a lot of churches today. But that's the wrong attitude. We need to consider one another. We need to love one another and provoke one another unto good works. 
And I believe that God can bring in this church the people that are needed to do the jobs. God's not going to leave his... Didn't didn't Jesus say that the gates of hell, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know? That's a promise we have. But God wants to use us to do the job if we're available. Will we be? Um, we just turn to Proverbs chapter 11, and I, was, um, I sometimes read uh, Charles Spurgeon. I like to read his, um, his uh, morning and um, evening daily devotions. Okay, I know the pastor likes uh, Charles Spurgeon, but he's always got some encouraging thing to say in there. Proverbs 11 and verse 25, and this is <clears throat> what I read this morning. Proverbs 11 and verse 25 And this is one of the uh, reasons, really, why we should fellowship together. We read verse 25, the liberal soul. This is the soul that he freely gives. He doesn't keep back. He's liberal with it, and he gives it. And he says, the liberal soul shall be made what? Fat. Basically, that you will have what you need and more, maybe. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And then he says, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Just listen to what um, Charles Spurgeon said here about this verse. He says that we are here taught the great lesson that to get we must give, that to accumulate we must scatter, that to make ourselves happy we must make others happy. And that in order to become spiritually vigorous, we must seek the spiritual good of others. In watering others, we ourselves are watered. And that's how we get blessed, is when we consider one another, their needs, and we'll be blessed. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also, shall also be watered. Wonderful. Let's just have a look at three things from our verse uh, tonight. Verse 25, Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I want us to see three things here. The first one is that Christians forsook the assembling of themselves together 2,000 years ago. This is not something that's new. Paul had to um, warn these Christians not to do this. So this was happening even within the first century, 2,000 years ago, and it's happening today. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay, let's just read verse 25. Paul says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, why do Christians forsake the assembling together? Why do they do it? Well, we've looked at a few reasons, haven't we? We looked at people don't want to have accountability. They don't want to be accountable to anybody. They don't want to be committed. They want to let other people just do the work. Laziness, basically. Um, I've got two other reasons here why Christians forsake the assembling of themselves together. And I believe that this happened 2,000 years ago, and it's also happening in churches today. And um, one of them is bitterness. Bitterness with a brother or a sister, or it can also be bitterness towards a pastor as well. 
And what bitterness does is it basically makes you angry inside. And it stops you really from expressing your love towards another Christian. It was in the first century, bitterness in the church. You read about it many times in the scriptures. And it's in the church today. Let's just have a look at a few scriptures about bitterness. Uh, let's see the fruits of bitterness. What happens? Romans chapter 3 and verse 14. And you know, Paul could write about this because he knew about it. It was happening in his day as well. Romans 3 verse 14 says that their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips. And verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And you see, this is what happens when people get bitter. Without, we've been looking at this in the Sunday school, you know. Um, people often show their bitterness by their words, the words that they speak. And they try to put people down. And you know, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you know, when we're bitter, we're not really going to be showing love to one another. Bitterness is like a rot. It's rottenness. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> and verse 31. And Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So here, Paul is telling the Christians that all bitterness, that we're to put it away. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have become new. Behold, all, uh, all things have passed away. All things have become new. We're to put on the new man. We're to live the new life in Christ. And we're to put bitterness away. And if you've got bitterness in your heart tonight towards another brother or a sister, even in this church, you need to deal with it. And you need to put it away. You need to, well, I'm going to show you how to deal with bitterness in a, in a few moments. But let's just have a look at one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. It's going to stunt your growth. It's going to stop growing. Okay? You're not going to be able to grow and mature while you have bitterness in your heart towards other Christians. Hebrews 12 and verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So here again, Paul is warning that we need to be diligent that we don't fail the grace of God and not let a root of bitterness spring up in us, yeah, and trouble us. Because if it does, the Bible says very clearly here that it's not only going to trouble you, but it's going to defile many. You know, the Bible says that a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump, it can have an effect upon a whole congregation of people, your bitterness. So put us away. Get it forgiven. Get it under the blood. Ask God to try and help you uh, to love that person. You may not like some of the things that they do. Maybe there's some of the words that they speak. 
but don't get bitter. Because that's going to have an effect upon you and your walk with the Lord. Okay? It's a hard thing. It's a real thing. But we need to let the Lord help us to deal with it. If you just turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. And verse 14, we read. These are the words of Jesus. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive them not, sorry, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we need to forgive people. That's the Christian walk. That's the Christian life. Okay? Let's not act like we're still in the world. Let's be different. Let's act like Christians. Let's act like men and women of light. Okay? Not only uh, bitterness, but pride as well. Okay? Um, this is another uh, thing, really, that can stop us from fellowshipping and um, forsaking ourselves, um, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's pride within the heart. We may have thoughts like, this church doesn't fulfill all my needs. This church doesn't give me enough attention. My place is on the streets reaching the lost people, not within the church. I don't need to be held to one church. Who do they think they are wanting me to become a member of that church? I'll do what I want. These are some of the attitudes that can arise in people's hearts. It's basically pride. And it stops people from fellowshipping with God's people. Um, let's just turn to Galatians chapter 2, because we have here an account of um, Peter, who was an apostle, and Paul. And uh, we see here a Christian man who withdraws himself from fellowship. And it's Peter, of all the people, of an apostle. Okay? Um, but we see in chapter 2, and we read from verse 9. And it says, And when James, Kephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas were to go to uh, the Jews. The rest were going to the Gentiles. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. What did he do? Well, verse, uh, verse 12, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Okay, so Peter was eating with the Gentiles before these Jews came uh, to where he was. And it says, but when they were come, he, that's Peter, withdrew and separated himself from these Gentile Christians. And it says, fearing them which were of the circumcision. He didn't want to be seen to be fellowshipping with these Gentiles, with these Jews watching him, okay? And it says, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And we see here just... A small example um, 
of pride. And it basically is making a Christian withdraw himself from fellowshipping with other Christians. Angelica and myself, when we were in, in Israel, we saw this quite a lot. Um, it does go on out, out there uh, with the Jewish Christians. And, uh, you know, there are some that really think that because they're Jewish and they're a Christian, that they are above other Christians, Gentile Christians, if you like. Um, it shouldn't be like that, but it is. It is. And sometimes as a Gentile, you might feel a bit uh, second-class citizen, you know? Although you are in the same house, God's house, with God's people, but it goes on. It's simulation. People wanting just to withdraw themselves because they think they're better than you. It shouldn't be like that. Didn't Christ, didn't Paul say that the, uh, the wall of partition has been broken down? You know? We're all one in Christ. And there should be that unity uh, in God's house. You know, there's a, a quote that someone once said, I don't know who it was, but he said that no man is an island. Yeah? No man is an island. And the church is not to be an island. Yeah? One person. It's a group of people coming together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same beliefs, same love for one another. You know, someone said that birds of a feather flock together, don't they? And they do. And it's, it's good. Um, maybe you're, you're saying tonight, can you show me in the scriptures where I am to be accountable? Surely because I'm free in Christ, I'm not accountable to anybody. You know, we are free. We do have freedom in Christ. But the Bible says that we're also accountable as well. And this is what a lot of Christians don't want in their lives. They think they just want to throw everything away and just be a free spirit, you know. I've got friends who, who, who are like that, Christian friends, free spirits, and just go anywhere, don't really pray, don't, you know, they don't have any real sense of direction. And... Uh, incredible. Show me in the scriptures where I am accountable. Well, let's have a look at a few scriptures. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. We're accountable to one another, actually, according to uh, the scriptures. Paul says, him, in verse 1, that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Him that is weak in the faith, receive. And this is one of the reasons why we need to fellowship together is because there are brothers and sisters who are weak in the faith. They may be going through some hard times, some struggles. I may go through hard times, but I need strength and I need other Christians to help me and to pray for me. And we're only going to get that when we're with God's people. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. We are accountable to each other. Someone who's out there, no direction, not joining up, not coming together to worship, to fellowship, how is that person ever going to help another person to be strong in their faith? Not going to happen. Romans 15 and verse 1, Paul says, We, Christians, then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And what's the next phrase? 
and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's what we're to do. We're to edify one another and not to please ourselves. A lot of people say that about coming to church, that uh, this church doesn't give me what I want, you know? I remember uh, Brian Beaver, I think it was, in the last uh, conference that we had. He spoke about uh, some people that came into his church and started to complain that, you know, this church was not, not all that good and, you know, they don't give them enough attention and all things like this. But how much attention did they give to other Christians? You know? First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Then he goes on to say in verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are those encouraging words? I don't know about you, but I get encouraged every time I read these scriptures. And then he says in verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I get comforted when I hear about the second coming of Jesus. I get comfort when I hear that one day I'm going to be able to throw my insulin pen away I'm not have to check my blood three times more, more times a day, you know. I get encouraged by that. I get encouraged by thinking the glory, what's going to be there, new body, you know. No more pain, no more suffering. You know, this lady that we met in the streets yesterday, Louise, I wouldn't have known it until the last moments of speaking to her when she told me that she had cancer and she had tumours in her body. She'd had cancer operations already this year. Um, but you know, when I was speaking to her, I didn't know that. But she, was, she could see that she had the joy of the Lord. But you know, when I started to tell her that one day we're going to get new bodies, when the Lord comes back and, he, and we get resurrected, you know, she started almost crying. And she says, thank you for telling me that. I needed to hear that. And we need to comfort one another with these words. But how are we going to do that if we don't, fellowship together, you know? I want to just talk a few, uh, for a few moments about membership, okay? Because, you know, we've had people in this church who have come and they've been offended when the pastor's got in the pulpit and he's spoken about membership. People think, oh, I'm not joining the club. I'm not joining some football club, some bingo or whatever. Why, why should I become a member of a church? Surely that's some kind of worldly thing. You know, can you show me in the scriptures where it talks about membership? Well, I can't find in the scriptures where it says that you must be a member, but I can find many principles throughout the scriptures from the Old to the New Testament where it says that we need to be joined together, we need to be accountable, and we need to be numbered. You know, it happened in the Old Testament with Israel. You read the book of Numbers. It's all about numbers. It's all about knowing how many people were in each tribe and what they were to do, the priests and those that were serving in the house of God. Everyone wasn't just like a loose cannon flying around. 
There was order. There was organization. Well, they only really had that because they knew who was in that tribe. Okay? So there is a principle in Scripture of accountability, of names being brought together. So we know who we have. Who is a part of what's going on in God's house? Okay? You just turn to the book of Acts. And uh, remember when Judas um, fell, okay, he was one of the disciples, one of the twelve, but he sinned, and they had to find another to take his place, okay, to join in the ministry and to be an apostle. And um, if you'd like to turn to verse 15, we see here that the church, um, you know, we're, we're organizing this together. Who was going to take this man's place? It says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, notice, the number of names together were about 120. So they knew because of the number, they'd taken a number, how many there were. Okay. Then he says, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us. He was one of them. And had obtained part of this ministry. And then we read about what happened to Judas. Okay? Verse 16. Sorry, verse 26. Um, Sorry, let's just go back um, a few verses. Verse 24. And and we see here that, um, that that they were praying And um, it says in verse 23, And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, okay, or Matthias. This was the the other one. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. They wanted to know from the Lord which one of these men was going to be one of the other disciples, uh, apostles that he may take part of this ministry. He was going to take part of the ministry with the apostles and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Verse 26, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, Matthias, and he was, what's the next word? Numbered with the 11 apostles. So we see here that there is a numbering. You know, there's a story that Jesus told about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one goes away, doesn't it? He leaves the 99, but he goes after that one. But if he hadn't have numbered those hundred sheep, how would he have known that that one had gone missing unless it had been numbered? And you know, there is a principle in Scripture of accountability. You know, our pastor is like a shepherd, and he needs to know who is in his flock. He needs to know who will take part in ministry. We can't just have any old people just coming in and just giving them a ministry straight away. There needs to be some accountability, and there needs to be some commitment. And if God is showing you tonight that this is your church, why don't you commit yourself and become a member? be numbered then you'll be able to take part in different ministries and voting as well it's important
There needs to be order within church. There's order out there in society, isn't there? You know, the Bible says that God is not the God of confusion, but of order. And um, there needs to be order within God's house. I wonder tonight, how can you help? How can you be a part of what's going on here at Bethel? Uh, Secondly, okay, and these next two points are very brief. Um, Another reason, second reason why Christians often forsake the assembling of themselves together. Um, Let's just go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 25 at the end. He talks here about exhorting one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We need to exhort one another. You know, I think that to some extent, in this modern day age that we're living in today, 2016, we've lost the ability to communicate face to face. You know, it's so easy now just to get onto the mobile and uh, to say, God bless you. I'm not saying that these things are wrong, okay, but it's so easy just to uh, uh, try to encourage people, um, but not physically uh, talk with people and meet with people. And people think that, you know, that social media is the uh, be-all and end-all, and you know, but it's not. We need to come together, and we need to exhort one another. And we, we do that best when we're together. People can see expressions in, in, in your face. People can hear words. People can know how you feel about them and how they feel about, how, how they feel about you. And, you know, often with mobile telephones, we can't really do that. And I think that to some extent we are losing that, um, that close connection. Um, so let's be careful with those things. Uh, I, I just wonder tonight, why is it that so many street evangelists don't really want to be in church and try to ex- exhort God's people? You know, I spoke to one yesterday who was pu- putting down the church because they didn't do any evangelism, but he doesn't go into that church very often. I mean, how is that encouraging people? You know? The rare thing that happens in church today that they'll go out into the streets and they'll do evangelism. We do it here. Get involved. Be involved in what's going on, if you can, if you're able to do it. If you're not, pray for the ministry. And um, lastly, we see here that Christians need to assemble more as the day approaches. That's what we read in this verse, don't we? He says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Which day is that? It's the day, the day of the Lord, isn't it? It's his second return. It's his coming again. And we know it's very, very near. And the Bible is exhorting us here that we need to fellowship even more as that day approaches. Why? Because things are going to get harder. This world is going to get much darker. Things are going to get tough. But we need to be fellowshipping together and encouraging one another in the Lord. Let's not forsake the fellowship of ourselves together. You know, ask yourselves tonight, what can I do? Is this where you want me, Lord? Is this the spiritual home that you've got me in? And if it is, bed yourself down, get involved with what's going on, and use your gifts, use your talents, 
help the pastor, be an encouragement to him. He needs it and his family. And God will bless you. He will. He's promised in his word. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, tonight for this simple message. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that we can assemble ourselves together. Lord, we thank you that you said that you will build your church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Lord, that is encouraging. And Lord, we know that you are coming back for your church. We just pray, dear Lord, that while we're yet here, that we will not forsake the fellowship of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. But Lord, that we will encourage and love and exhort one another while we have opportunity. Help us to use our gifts, dear Lord, for your glory. Help us to have a part in the missions work as well. And Lord, we know that um, we will be doing your will when we do this in Jesus' name.